Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. friends and welcome to the Seeker Podcast at Service of Change, where we challenge reality, question that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II with Service of Change. My apologies for missing last week. Things have been kind of hectic. On the home front, I have a newborn at the house and we were just, had a lot going on last week and I had to take the week off and focus on much needed family matters. Almost missed this weekend as well. Have uh, a lot going on. I'll tell you, today was uh, was an emotional roller coaster kind of a day. Uh, ended well, I think, um, but it was tough. My dog is <clears throat> she's 13 years old, and she's at she's at the end of her life, and she's uh, you know creating a real challenge in the house for us in terms of since she was a puppy, she's always been a pain in the neck. Uh, you know, it, when she doesn't get her way, when she was a puppy, she used to go pee somewhere. Um, she started doing that again a few months back. She would pee somewhere in the house, and she has this horrible smelling urine, so it's ruining our carpets. So I put diapers on her, but if she has an accident, if she, if she happens to have a massive accident, um, you know, it'll sometimes leak out of the di- diaper and get on her rugs, and then it's next to impossible to clean and I can't tell, is it spiteful or is it age? I'm pretty sure it's a combination of the two with her. Um, plus her her joints are getting bad, so she can't go down steps anymore, which means I have to carry her down steps when I need to let her out. And uh, she's drinking just a ton of water. I think there's an issue going on with her kidneys. Um, but she seems happy, you know, most days. she She's able to walk around on her own. She... You know, is always in a in a in a good mood, so it's tough making that decision. When, when do we end the suffering of our friends, of our family members, like that? You know, our fur family, and um, I made a decision that today was going to be the day. You know, there's just so much going on in my life, and we have some events coming up. Uh, you know, some travel where we'll be doing some traveling, and I, I can't entrust her into the care of anybody else because she's just so much work. Uh, so I thought today would be the day, and uh, I woke up this morning, and you know, spent you know, had a nice night with her last night. This morning I woke up, and I took her out to the lake, her and my other dog, and we we took a walk. I took her off the leash, and she just took off. She trotted up, she trotted back, she had fun, 
she was excited and I'm thinking, wow, she really, maybe she's doing better than, than I think that she is. And, uh, I brought her home and I knew I had an hour to kill. That's a horrible expression. An hour to, to get through. And then I was going to give her, um, some sleeping pills that were going to knock her out. So then I could take her to the vet and the vet was going to administer an IV. And then through that IV, she was going to be euthanized. So I, uh, when it came time, 9.30 this morning, to give her the pills, I, I lost it. I mean, I just lost it. I'm, I'm hugging her really tight and just squeezing her. And this knucklehead gets excited and she starts running around and she's ready to play. And I'm sitting here getting ready to give her pills that are going to lead to the end of her life thought about it and I thought about it and I just had it in my head you know I wasn't sure what to do but the appointment was coming up and I thought it's time it has to be time and uh, I worked up the courage somehow some way and I, I gave her the sleeping pills and within 10 minutes she was out I mean she was just relaxed and passed out and I laid on the ground and just held her and I hugged her and I was crying and then because she was so relaxed from the pills, the way she was laying, she had trouble breathing for a moment. And she started choking. And I jumped up and I adjusted her head and made sure her airway was clear. And um, and she you know, was able to breathe. But in that moment, I panicked and realized it's not time. It's not time. And uh, I... I called the vet and I canceled the appointment. And You know, she's working off the effects of the sleeping meds, but she's doing okay now. She's resting comfortably today. I feel horrible. I feel absolutely horrible. But, you know, I just, I thought, about, I was thinking about so much. I was thinking about so much today. What do, you know, I'm, I'm always wondering, pondering life. And if you followed my show, you followed my research, what goes through my head, especially since I lost my father all the time, is that, I'm frustrated that I feel that humanity is under the control of a, of a hidden hand. To include the control that the government exerts over our own lives, which I think is, is far too much. There's decisions that are made that impact our everyday lives in a negative way that we don't want to deal with. That frustrates me. But then beyond that, you know, um, if, if you follow my research on the archons, the, the, these parasites that manipulate mankind, I, I often feel like I live on a farm and that, you know, that control, that power that they may have over humanity is abused. So I have that in my head, and I'm sitting there thinking about my dog, about Gizmo, thinking, I have power over her life. I have that power. I can make the choice to prolong her life. I can make the choice to end her life. I can make the choice to keep her alive even if she's suffering for my own selfish reasons because I can't let go. That's a lot of power and that's intimidating, that level of power. And I, I was thinking about it, thinking about it, and I just know that when I was ready to put her down, the thoughts that were going through my head was, I, I haven't done enough. And for the people that I care about, it's not enough. I'm not enjoying that feeling called love enough in my life. And, and believe me, I spend most of my free time hugging my children. It's, I'm not this cold-hearted guy. 
but this is what's going through my head is that I'm still not fully walking that path that I that I want to walk. It's, it, it, it just I, I realized that today, and it really got to me. It really got to me. And I said, you know, I need to, maybe I need to stop writing my book. Maybe I need to give up my show and just focus my time on my family and taking care of them. Because what is the point? Why do I do this show every week? And it takes me, it takes several hours out of my week. Why am I writing this book that's been taking a long time to to write? It takes up the rest of my free time. Why am I doing it? Well, the reason is because of what I glimpsed when my father died, of what I saw, a cause, an underlying cause for human suffering. And my goal is to spread awareness or to at least open people's minds to the possibility that, number one, there may be something influencing human suffering. That's number one. But number two, we may be able to do something about it. And I don't want to lose sight of that. But I was afraid that I did. I was afraid that in my pursuit of getting this product out, meaning the show every week and this book, to get this message out, am I losing sight of the very thing I'm trying to protect? And it's a tough balance. It's a real tough balance. And I, what I learned today was that, well, I... I want to be doing more in terms of the people I care about in my life. So as now I'm not I'm not giving up the show, I'm not giving up the book. I think that's a very important project, but it made me question you know, I, I mean I look at having to have a 40-hour work week. Now I've got a I've got a really good job. I'm happy where I'm at, you know, but I'm also working in real estate, I'm working as a teacher, I'm working to do this. So my my time is spread so thin. And I just I I went through that whole story to say, please take the time every single day to tell the people you care about that you love them. And not only that, take the time to create experiences, to create memories, not regrets. Don't put it off. Go take a walk with someone you care about an evening together. Call them on the phone. Do something. Because life is so fragile. Okay. Well, thank you for listening, if you're still with me, to that story. It's been a trying day emotionally for me, but the show must go on, and there is a lot going on in the world. And I wanted to talk about... This week I wanted to talk, I wanted to do a show on on predicting the future. Uh, I'm going to condense that because there's, uh, I'm just going to touch on that a little bit because we've got the serious stuff going on also, which is huge. I want to proceed with caution. When I first saw the chemical attack, I wish I could have jumped on the air. This is why this is why this show needs to be my full-time gig. It really does because I, there was so much I wanted to say right when it was happening. I wish I could have been talking my listeners through this. But what first came across my way was the the pictures of the the dead and dying children on my news feed on CNN. And right away that raises a red flag for me. As now I'm not saying we shouldn't be horrified at these images. It's 
it's so sad. And I try not to wallow in that. Because actually, I only watched one video of it. And anytime an image or whatever comes up of it, I scroll past the image. I don't even look at it. I read the content because those images are being continually projected in front of us for a reason. And of that, I am confident. Now, here's what we know. We know that when Hillary Clinton was running for the office of president of the United States, her agenda was to go to war with Russia through Syria. We know that Putin had his largest show of naval power as he went through the, I want to think, say the English Channel, moving it towards Syria in anticipation. This was back in uh, January or December or January. In anticipation of Clinton winning, he expected her to start hitting it with air targets and him to defend it. And they expect, he expected a war to come out from there. So he was ready for war with the United States. Then Donald Trump pulls this crazy upset. He gets put into office. And all of a sudden, the rumors start saying Donald Trump is in bed with the Russians. They start conducting all these probes. They start saying Donald Trump, you know, that, that Russia influenced the United States elections and putting this whole spin on it. I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's not true, but that's the rhetoric that was coming out. I do think it's interesting to note that the United States is responsible for meddling in countless elections of other countries because we want to see people who are going to benefit our own interests in places of power. So when someone does it to us, hey, look, I'm not saying I'm crazy about another country influencing our elections, but that's what is done. And I think they embellished it, if Russia even did have this. They were saying that Russia was responsible for the WikiLeaks. Well, then WikiLeaks comes out with Vault 7 with the CIA dump. And what Vault 7 states is that the CIA is not only hacking computers and smartphones and smart TVs all around the world, just like the NSA is doing, but they've developed a way to mimic the hacking signatures of other countries to include Russia, which means... By saying evidence suggests that Russia hacked the DNC email servers and released it to WikiLeaks, in fact is saying it's possible that our own government hacked into these emails and released them. We, that, that, that credibility, without me looking at all the evidence which hasn't really been released, that's the conclusion I'm forced to draw right now. And that's the problem, is that there's no transparency. There's not enough transparency here. So we need to proceed with caution with who we support and who we back in this. I've been following the CNN story and CNN. All of a sudden, they seem to be a little bit more pro-Trump because the man dropped some bombs and is following the originally planned agenda. Again, we all need to be seriously concerned about this. But then I also go to the opposite extreme, and I've listened to Alex Jones on the InfoWars circuit because they have some pretty good intel that comes out of there as well. Now, they're more of the mindset that this was a staged event, this was a false flag. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's how I know, without a shadow of a doubt, somebody's lying. The United States is of the belief, officially, that Assange dropped chemical weapons on his own people in Syria that killed, I think, 86 or 100 people, 25 of them were children. What Russia comes out and says is that, well, actually, a factory was targeted, and within that factory, or a warehouse, within that, there were chemical munitions that were stored. 
And that is how these people got exposure because those munitions were exploded and then all of a sudden people started suffering from the effects of sarin gas. Now I have several articles that I'm going to share uh, in the show notes, but I'm just going to summarize them here, talking in random order as I've, as I've uh, been reading it. So, in an article in CNN, one of the things it says here is U.S. military and intelligence officials told CNN that Syrian planes dropped bombs at the time and place that the chemical attack was reported to have happened. A U.S. official said radar intelligence followed the radar track of regime airplanes and the infrared heat signature of the bombs. Now, Syria, the Syrian government is denying that they dropped these airstrikes. Here's, here's my frustration. Now, they're claiming that they have the radar track. Now, does... Does that, to me, that's still circumstantial. If that's what you have is that there were Syrian aircraft dropping bombs at the time and place that the chemicals were dispersed, I still say that's not enough to say that these bombs were in fact the chemical weapons because you've got a lot of reports coming out. And from what I understand, and check, I'll see if I can find this and put it in the show notes, but Alex Jones has some stuff out there talking about confirmed instances where it's actually the rebels who were attacking these civilians with chemicals to make it look like it was the Syrian government. Does this sound familiar? This is what they were reports that were coming out of Libya when they went after Gaddafi, that he was attacking his own people. And in reality, it was actually Al-Qaeda that was in there that was attacking them. Again, here's my frustration. We may or may not be on the brink of a major war. I think the American people deserve to actually see the evidence. Now, this was this was less than 24 hours, I think, 24 hours where this we decided to engage the Syrian military, which, again, is backed by Russia, which puts us at risk at odds with the Russian government. I'm going to address that in a minute. But I'm tired of these commanders-in-chief making decisions and then just telling us, well, intelligence reports told me. This one says, you know, the radar report. That's not enough. I, as an American citizen who may be required to, at, the, at a minimum, fund this war, at a maximum, have people I know and care about participate in this war, or, God forbid, somehow be negatively affected by it if we start seeing retaliation attacks on U.S. soil, which is always a possibility in this day and age now, especially with the, the, uh, the, the way terrorism is moving around. I think the American people, I think the world deserves to see the evidence that Donald Trump used to make this, to come to his conclusion. Transparency is what we need now. Show us the radar video footage. Show us how you can tell from radar that it was that they dropped those chemical weapons and not that they dropped those chemical weapons or that they dropped bombs on a chemical weapons plant that then exploded and targeted these people. Now, maybe there's a good explanation out there, but I haven't seen that explanation being pushed yet. I really haven't. So if somebody can present to me or explain to me exactly how they know that in terms that the American public can digest, that, I think, is the first step. 
But here's what we see war after war after war is the propaganda. Again, I'm teaching World War I in my class right now. And we've looked at what World War I, when that was going on, we know the world was putting out propaganda against the Germans. Now, the Germans were doing some bad stuff during World War I with their submarines. They were targeting merchant ships. They were targeting civilian ships. But those civilian ships were actually transporting munitions to support the Allies who were ultimately going to use it to fight the Germans. But they were getting a lot of bad press. But then there was stuff that was not true that was coming out. Fast forward to World War II. Just go back and watch Looney Tunes or watch some of the old Disney stuff. And the way they depict the Japanese and the Germans is absolutely horrible. They made the Japanese look like these bumbling idiots. Why? Because they want to change American perception. World War I, they actually called for... During World War I, they actually said... Well, just in case our allies need support, we're going to you know, run this preparedness movement, and we need to start preparing American people by instilling a sense of American pride in Americans. So the goal was to, to saturate the American mindset, to be willing to serve your country, to be willing to die for your country, but it's all manipulation. Because people in power don't want to risk their financial interests. That's what it really all came down to. That's what it really all always comes down to. I don't know enough. I don't know the players well enough here to see what's the financial angle. I do know enough to say that somebody is lying here with Syria. Now, what Alex Jones broke down, he says what he suspects has happened is that Trump's been backed into a corner because if he was to not do anything, then they'd further their argument that Trump's in bed with the Russians. Now, what Jones said was that it's possible that what Donald Trump did, because I don't believe anybody died during this airstrike, but he, and he also gave the Russians either one or two hours warning, saying, hey, we're going to bomb this airfield, make sure you're aware of that, because I think there were Russians on the base. The first report came out that there were six Russians on the base, but I think they made it off. So what he basically said was, hey, get your people off there. I need to do something. This will make me look like a strong commander-in-chief in front of my people, because I'm backed into a corner. And, and what Jones is pushing for is now we have the ability for United States and Russia to broker a deal and to negotiate peace, to go after ISIS and to restore peace in Syria, to remove Assad together in a way that's going to be peaceful. It doesn't involve us fighting Russia. That's what Jones is predicting or, or hoping is going to happen. That argument makes sense. I still don't agree with it. I still don't agree with you know dropping these bombs with such little information. I'm sure there's more to the story, but again, I, I think that as the American people, we have a right to see a little bit more of what's going on, what evidence they're using to do that. But if that's the case, well, then I think, think we might be able to avoid going to war. But we just don't know at this point. It's just a lot of speculation. So I'll have links to all these stories um, you know, in the show notes at serviceofchange.com. Now, I came across another story... Uh, let's see here. And this one was from 2012 from CNN. It says, sources, U.S. helping underwrite Syrian rebel training on securing chemical weapons. United States and some European allies are using defense contractors to train Syrian rebels on how to secure chemical weapons stockpiles in Syria. The training, which is taking place in Jordan and Turkey, involves how to monitor and secure stockpiles and handle weapon sites and materials according to the sources. Some of the contractors on the ground in Syria are working with the rebels to monitor some of the sites according to one of the officials. The nationality of the trainers was not disclosed, and the officials cautioned against assuming all are American. One of the aims of sources said is to try and 
get real-time surveillance of the sites because the international community would not have time to prevent the use of weapons otherwise. The program could explain how U.S. intelligence was able to learn what U.S. officials said was evidence that Assad government is mixing precursors for chemical weapons and loading those compounds into bombs. The intelligence, one U.S. official told CNN last week, came not just from satellite surveillance but also from information provided by people. The official will not say whether the human intelligence came from telephone intercepts, defectors, or people inside Syria. So they were training rebels back in 2012. Now, how has that always gone for us in the past when we've trained rebels to fight our enemies and to do stuff for us? They always end up turning against us. But my point in being is that this lends credibility to the possibility that this is, in fact, rebels staging an attack against the Syrian people to make it look like it's Assad. You know, again, what Alex Jones was saying was that, you know, why would Assad... Why would he go against his own people at this stage in the game when there was nothing to worry about? There was he had, he had it, it was not a smart strategic move for him to do that. It didn't make any sense. It kind of came out of nowhere. So why would he then in turn make the attack? I'm not an expert on this. You know, check out Infowars definitely and see what what he's saying because I think he's got an interesting analysis that that counters what the CNN side is saying and it makes a lot of sense. And it's something we need to explore because we know governments have a history of lying to the people when it comes to engaging us in war. I'll have this 2012 article linked up there as well. It's well worth your attention. I'm going to shift gears for a minute now, or I'm going to shift gears for the rest of the show. And uh, forgive me here. I have music playing in my ears. I want to talk about some other things that have come across my feed in the news, and I want to talk about predicting the future. I'm going to go through these news stories real quick, but this one here, former U.S. Attorney Susan Rice ordered spy agencies to produce detailed spreadsheets involving Trump. I have an article talking about that, how, uh, let's see here, it was uh, Obama's National Security Advisor Susan Rice ordered U.S. spy agencies to produce detailed spreadsheets of legal phone calls involving Donald, Donald Trump and his aides when he was running for president according to former U.S. Attorney Joseph G. Geneva. I'll have that story in the show notes. Again, more uh, evidence that the previous administration was spying on Donald Trump illegally when he was running for president. This next one, cyborgs at work, employees getting implanted with microchips. This comes to us from SF Gate, San Francisco Gate. Stockholm, the syringe the syringe slides in between the thumb and index finger. Then, with a click, a microchip is injected in the employee's hand. Another, quote, cyborg is created. What could pass for a dystopian vision of the workplace is almost routine at the Swedish startup hub Epicenter. The company offers to implant its workers and startup members with microchips the size of grains of rice that function as swipe cards to open doors, operate printers, or buy smoothies with the wave of a hand. I've been tracking this technology. Many have been warning against this to include David Icke for years. This microchipping, some call it the mark of the beast. I'm not going to go that far at this point in time. But this is getting us used to having tech implanted in our bodies. And although it may seem really, really cool to wave your hand and have technology respond to you as if it's some kind of magic, I caution against it because if we become too dependent on that tech and it becomes hacked, we could be in some form of trouble. And what really scares me is when we get to the neural implants that people are looking at that then can be hacked and used to manipulate us. David Icke just did a large, uh, a great breakdown of that again, talking about the dangerous uh, aspects of having this 
cloud with an artificial intelligence behind it with access to your minds because ultimately he believes that this cloud is the creation of the archons and it's another way for these non-physical entities to interact with humanity in a way that actually gives them even more control to us and it gives us less control over our own thoughts. So I, I'm very cautious with these, uh, the microchips and, and the manipulation of that stuff with that tech and the AI. Speaking of which, this article comes to us from marketwatch.com, how upgrading humans will become the next billion dollar industry. This is by Jeremy Oshland. 50 years from now, today's humans will be obsolete, historian Yuval Harari says. Investors searching for the next transformative technology destined to turn a bunch of Ivy League dropouts into billionaires and half the market into a loose slot machine need only look in the mirror. The greatest industry of the 21st century will probably be to upgrade human beings. Historian Yuval Harari, author of a fascinating new book, Homo Deus, told Market Watch. For the first time in history, it will be possible to translate economic inequality into biological inequality. That's by Yuval Harari. That also sounds like the plot of Gattaca. Okay. Google already has a unit devoted to overcoming death, Harari noted, and who can doubt that Apple will want to pick from this new tree of knowledge as well. Nice, uh, nice allegory there to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Or that after conquering self-driving cars, Uber, in spite of the antics of its CEO, will want to build an Ubermensch. As new technologies yield humans with much longer battery lives, killer apps, and godlike superpowers within the next six decades, if Harari is right, even the finest human specimens of 2017 will, in hindsight, seem like flip phones. There is, of course, a catch. Many of us will remain flip phones, as the technology to upgrade humans to iPhones is likely to be costly and regulated differently around the world. These advances will likely lead to greater income inequality than ever before, Harari said. For the first time in history, it will be possible to translate economic inequality into biological inequality. I'll have this. There's more to it. I'll have this linked in the show notes as well at serviceofchange.com. But this is something, again, we need to be mindful of. As I've said on this show several times, it's not going to be the government forcing this mass microchipping of people. It's going to be the consumer that drives this because a need is going to be presented and we're going to say, wow, that looks really cool or I definitely need that because I've got so many other things going on in my life that I need to be wired to the computer through my brain or I need a microchip in my hand because it's too much work to go in my pocket and pull out a credit card or, heaven forbid, pull out some cash, which is becoming more and more obsolete. So that's scary stuff. The merging with tech, we're seeing it more and more and more. It is happening. You need to start thinking now, are you going to integrate or are you going to remain an obsolete human being? And I say that because although technology may be advancing in a way that's allowing people to have these wireless communications and ultimately through their brains, they're going to be able to connect to the internet. That's where this is heading. I've said it before, we can already do it. And what I suspect is that our ability to connect to this, I call it the, the, the natural Wi-Fi signal of the planet of the universe, I think that's the old technology. I think that whatever had a hand in manipulating our current evolution somehow created this technology. I think this, what we call divine spirituality, at some level is a form of technology and genetic engineering. 
And I say that based on my studying of ancient texts, based on my study of where tech is going today and how these, so many of these things have tie-ins to the occult. I think history is simply repeating itself for an upgrade, but in reality, it's creating an entirely new universe. And if you look at the, the multiverse theory, uh, or if you look at the simulation argument by Nick Bostrom or by Philip K. Dick, who, who claims we're living in a simulation, it's highly possible that this existence is a simulation. And that's something we need to think about because maybe that's what our ultimate creator was. It's somebody who created some form of AI and it birthed this mini-universe that we live in. And maybe we're getting ready to do that again. But at what cost to our own humanity? That's what we need to be mindful of. And then maybe we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper, further and further away from the actual reality, from what is real. And instead, we have a dream within a dream, much like Inception. So what can we do about it? Well, here's some more technology, but I think this technology can actually help our natural capabilities, which would limit our need for merging with tech. This one comes from military.com. Super SEALs elite units pursue brain-stimulating technologies. Now, this is pretty cool. I'm just going to paraphrase it, but basically they're using uh, electri electricity to, uh, through a headset to stimulate uh, the, the brains of Navy SEALs. And what they found is that when somebody's ability to concentrate normally falls off in about 20 minutes, they can use this electri electrical impulse through the brain to get 20 hours of peak performance with the brain. And they're talking about skill set like precision, target shooting, and stresses of combat. It can help maintain a, a Navy SEAL's focus. As a teacher, I think this has incredible implications with my students who have difficulty fo focusing with ADHD. Not only that, I think this would be a much better alternative than giving our students drugs because the drugs have so many other side effects, so many other biological harmful side effects, so many other neurological harmful side effects. This, I would think, once you turn it off, the effects stop. Maybe not. I, I definitely say do some long-term studies. But in my research, with everything that I'm doing, I think the electromagnetic field is where it's at. I think that's the way to go to alter your consciousness in, in healthy, beneficial ways that's going to allow us to open up to other forms of communication, to other forms of knowledge. I was listening to Indigo Swan give a presentation the other day, and he says this, he read the 1973 definition of parapsychology, and it said using the scientific method to study uh, you know, it's telekinesis, uh, you know, psychic phenomenon. And he stopped it right there and he says, what is the scientific method? He said, the scientific method assumes a physical reality. The scientific method is based in five sense reality. However, you can't use five sense reality to measure something that is beyond the five senses. He says, so right there, you're limiting yourself. So we need to look at these things through using that sixth sense, using that expanded perception, understanding that there's more than just what I can taste, touch, feel, smell, and hear. We have this sixth sense, which is the ability to perceive or to, to feel psychically. And it goes even deeper than that. But I think the key to that is understanding this electromagnetic field and its impact, its generation from the human body, its generation from the earth and the sun, and its impact and its connection and relationship to one another as we use this. So that's 
that's the positive note that I'm ending this podcast on. We have talks of war, but we have... So right now we have no way of knowing it, correct? Well, here's what's interesting. I've been tracking the Farsight Institute for years. I've talked about this with their project that they're working on uh, on my show previously in my remote viewing show, but they're doing what's called the Time Cross Project. If you have not checked this out, you need to go check this out immediately. Every month, they will have three remote viewers and they remote view the news of the upcoming month. They look into the future to see if they can accurately predict what is going to happen. Now, go check out Courtney Brown's explanation of it. You know, the links, I'll have the links in the show notes. But they're amazing me with their results. Some months are better than others. But this falls exactly in line with what my goals are of my show, is to make conversations about this, about psychic phenomenon more common. We need to start to accept this. There are peer-reviewed documents talking about remote viewing. The research is there that remote viewing is real and it works. Now, Courtney Brown will tell you it takes a lot of practice and a lot of training. Anybody can do it, but not everybody can be an expert. Just like anybody can play sports, but not everybody can be a Michael Jordan. Okay? But... They're doing this project, and the past month, uh, the, the predictions for April 2017 that were done in March 2017, they, they gave me the chills, they terrified me, they excite me, they give me so much hope. As I watch them and then watch the current events unfold, they are coming true. They described, he talked about an attack, the, the truck driving attack that just happened in Stockholm, Sweden, that just happened yesterday. They, he covered the attack, the train attack in Russia, he predicted. Uh, let's see here. Middle East wars, they talked about war going off in the Middle East and what do we have going on in, uh, in Syria right now. Let's see, North Korea firing the ballistic missiles, chemical attack uh, in Syria, they predicted. They talked about the White House shakeup, Steve Bannon ejected from the National Security Council. Uh, our missile attack over uh, over to Syria. So much of this they've predicted. You need to go watch this. You need to go listen to their analysis. Are they 100% accurate at this point? No. Are they uh, 60 to 80? Yes. Why, why aren't we looking at this more? Why isn't this in the mainstream? This gives us hope. Although remote viewing has been around for a while, they're taking leaps and bounds now with what they're doing with it, but we need to be doing more. If, if every single country, if every single state, if every single county employed teams of remote viewers to look into the future and then to analyze that data, well, now we may be able to, to predict disaster. We may be able to say, hey, here's a problem coming. Here's how we can prepare for that and prevent that and ultimately save lives. This is a fantastic tool that we can be using. The Farsight Institute offers free downloads of all their stuff. You don't even have to give an email address. Just go to their website and you can download. That's how, that's how much they want this information out there. And you can download an entire course and learn on your own how to be a remote viewer. I started it years ago. I had to put it down. I've re-downloaded the course. I will be doing this. Now, if you are a remote viewer or you're interested in pursuing this and sharing your progress through the show or through Service of Change... I'd love to hear from you. Contact me. I, I, I want to push this. I want to promote this. We need to be doing more with this. They are predicting the future with 
accuracy. Now, here's the scary thing. Today's date, it's April 8th. This was a bad month as far as predictions are concerned. They're not all doom and gloom predictions, but this month had a lot of them. One of the viewers predicted a massive meteor strike. She said they were speaking broken English, so it didn't sound like it was America. Um, and I believe it was a coastal area. But she said it was a totally devastating, life-changing meteor strike. Now, again, they're not 100% accurate. This may be nothing. But that her account of it gave me the chills. It really terrified me. So, again, if this is real and more people buy into this, we can put our eyes to the sky and maybe predict it, maybe evacuate the area where this thing is going to hit. Fascinating stuff. Check it out at the Farsight Institute. I can't rave about them enough. They're, they're doing great work over there. And I'm so excited about the stuff that's coming out there because this is hope. Imagine with all these problems with fake news that we have out there. Imagine with this Syria event right now. Remote viewing gives us, when done properly, gives us the ability to look at the crap news that's out there and to conduct one or several remote viewing sessions, to have several viewers conduct their own sessions and then compare data, compare notes and say, yep, here's who's lying. This is our ability to, to see through the crap that's being shoved down our throats. This power can then empower our own military to say, uh-uh, not going to war for that lie. This is the future, and it needs to be spread. I covered a lot of stuff tonight. I, again, started off with that my, my personal hardship today. I, I touched on Syria. I touched on these other things because it's important. These are exciting times. There's a lot of stuff happening. My friends, it comes down to choices. We may feel powerless. I often do. But when we stop and think, we have the ability to impact those around us. And there are things we can do right now to better our own situation and our own access to knowledge and information. Again, if you're interested in, in putting any of this out there, if you have your own story, your own whatever, and you want to contribute, please get in touch with me. I definitely have a spot, uh, you know, for you as a contributor. That's all the time I have right now, friends. This has been another episode of The Secret Podcast at Service of Change, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. And keep an open mind. Thank you.